Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Chris Semke. And this is Diesel Performance Podcast. Guys, we got a great episode today. Uh, Chris and I and Justin, producer Justin, traveled. Uh, we are live on site with Autometer. We have Mike and Mark. Mike, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to have you guys here. We're, we're excited to talk with you guys. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Mark, how about you? How are you doing today? Very, very good. Thank you very much. And again, thank you very much for being here. Uh, hope you enjoyed the tour that you had of the plant. Yeah, the plant. Chris, what'd you think about walking through the factory? Very neat. I would say, uh, you know, everything uh, has a has a place, you know, to say the least. Uh, very organized. I think one of the things that I want to dive into, maybe not right this minute, but it was uh, the QC process, I think, was something that uh, I'm still in awe about. So, Do you know, uh, so, so I know Autometer personally as the pillar gauges. That, like, when I think of Autometer, I think of, like, the first getting into like an 0659 Cummins with three pillar gauges and bumping my head on them as I get in. And the, the damn thing is, is I always think of them working. I, I think, uh, you know, we are spoiled in what we do because there's a lot of electronic gauges that plug into the OBD and they are able to do the things that uh, sometimes mechanical gauges are kind of uh, looked, looked past. Um, my background, right? The older mechanical trucks, 12 valve, 24 valve Cummins, the 7.3 trucks, where you don't necessarily have uh, as much luxury of plugging into an OBD port. Um, you know, so uh, I always thought of Autometer as kind of like that, that rugged, aggressive, you know, uh, you're going to have a lot of money tied up into your truck. You're going to want to run specific gauges to monitor those engine vitals and not necessarily rely on the electronic side of things. At it's least, an insurance again, policy. And the, and the older stuff, so... <laughs> That's right, Mike. I like saying that. It's an insurance policy. Can you can you tell us a little bit? So Chris and I obviously had a very limited understanding of what Autometer was doing over here. Uh, after walking through the the manufacturing operation, we saw a whole lot more that I didn't know existed. Uh, can you give us a little bit of your background at Autometer and uh, what are what are some of the best kept secrets? Sure. So yeah, my background. Um, I started here twenty years ago. Um, I actually started in high school of all things. So I did a co-op program. So if I wasn't in school. I, I came here and worked a few hours and kind of wrapped up my day here. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the um, internship program. So I was a student at Northern Illinois. And so through my four years, basically same concept when I wasn't in class, I was here at work. And in the summers I would, you know, work full time. So um, through, through that process and then graduated in 2007, was lucky enough kind of in the downturn of the economy that I actually landed a job here and uh, basically just kind of been here ever since. So I've kind of done various things from, I mean, I started taking out the trash, like no joke. I know everyone <laughs> likes to use that as a cliche, but that's, that's legitimately what I did and then did uh, technical support and then moved into to sales. And um, now I'm a director of instrumentation sales here at Autometer. So um, it's, it's, it's turned into a career for me for sure. Um, kind of the best kept secrets, you know, we, we were having a little bit of a sidebar before, you know, we started the interview and I feel like kind of the, the best kept secret is y you don't know until you actually come through and, and experience the whole thing. I mean, we can sit here and talk about, you know, how we manufacture things in the United States and, you know, we employ a whole bunch of people and you guys mentioned the, the quality control. I mean, those are all great things, but really until you actually get into the process and see how it's all done, it's all very efficient. 
you know, there's a lot of efficiency to it all. So, you know, this person starts in this position, does, you know, whatever they do to the gauge, get the, the internals in there and kind of moves it along to the next position. It's all timed. It's all, you know, uh, we've gone through many different uh, processes to make sure that what we're doing every step of the way from where you reach your arm to grab the, the box to, you know, how you push the pointer onto the, you know, onto the dial. I mean, all that stuff is, is all, you know, a, a process that we went through to make sure that, you know, we're able to build things accurately and quickly and effectively. I mean, really, that's, that's what it comes down to. And I think until you actually get a chance, like you guys got to, to do the tour, you really, you don't appreciate it as much. One of the things our tour guide Dean was uh, explaining to us, you have, um, you, you have an area called a taco. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, those gauges, uh, I was told years back, you would a good day, 60, 70 gauges could be made. And now you could pump out over 300, 360 gauges a day from being more efficient yep. in, in the operation. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah, we went through different processes like five star and six sigmium, all those kind of, you know, uh, MBA buzzwords that you've heard tossed around through the years. And we did that. I mean, when we were first acquired by an investment group in the early two thousands, that was, you know, something that they looked at as, you know, how do we maintain manufacturing parts here in the States and, you know, keep the jobs and, and keep things efficient. So, I mean, literally every line, you, you mentioned the taco line. Um, I did a, uh, a, I believe it was like a Six Sigma type thing or lean, lean marketing or lean uh, manufacturing. And, uh, you know, we, we grabbed people from different departments, somebody from sales, somebody from marketing, somebody from engineering, somebody from the line accounting even you know you grab all these different people and then you go through this this whole um sequence of events of okay you know what are all the steps involved and the one i did was mechanical speedos so we talked about okay what's the first thing that you do okay and then the second and third and you kind of go through the whole process and you're like okay how can i shave two seconds here and five seconds here and you know once you get to the ultimate to the end you know if you're saving 15 20 30 seconds on one part then that just allows you to build more and more units and and ultimately allowed us to to maintain employing people here and and you know um you know, going through that that whole process to make things much more efficient that is such a cool story because i do love that that it stayed in the u.s throughout all the manufacturing and all of the employees that are here that still work in manufacturing now mark you're here with us as well uh can you give us a little bit about your background with autometer sure i actually am the senior member to mike just to let you know i was here for like two months before he was so uh, July will be my uh, 21st anniversary, which I'm very proud of that, that I've been at Autometer and they've allowed me to, to be employed here. Uh, I grew up, uh, my dad was a drag racer. When I was born, there was a race car in, in the garage. Uh, unfortunately, he gave me that disease and I drag race, <laughs> got into cars, have that disease. Uh, and as Mike was saying, it was it's pretty interesting to for when Mike and I started, the processes that we had to build the gauge and the gauges that we had at that time. When I first started, the biggest complaint that we received, by the way, I've, I've, I did the same thing, Mike. I started in tech. I went into, back then it was pre-sales, um, then went back to tech, and now I'm a, a sales slash tech guy. I still answer the phone, uh, talk to customers, which is a great way to communicate as far as, you know, hey, what what which way is the market moving, so on and so forth. It's great to, to talk to the end user. It, it, that, that's very important to our business is to be able to communicate with the end user to find out exactly what they want or you know any type of problems that are arising on their vehicle. So it's something that we can manufacture a gauge for or something like that. But 
back in the day when we first started, people complained about our gauges were way too dim. That was when we had the incandescent bulbs, the ultralights, the sport comps, the uh, so, hey, how, how do I brighten your gauges up to when we came out with the through-the-dial LED gauges, which we physically now have to build a dimmer for because people now call and complain that the, the gauges are way too bright for them. <laughs> so it's just it's been a long way for what we have seen as far as the technology in the gauges. I mean, it was simple. When him and I started, it was literally a mechanical gauge. And then you could have a separate warning light with a switch on it to now where we build gauges that that's all wrapped into one. You know, we make gauges that now have seven different illumination colors, user-definable warning lights. We have a pro control option where if you take a water temperature gauge and it gets to a certain degree, it'll supply ground to a relay and turn on a fan. So just the, the, in the 20 years that I have been here and Mike has been here, just to see the technology of how far we've come with our products is pretty incredible yeah and that's only touching on the analog stuff i mean we start dabbling into you know talking about digital stuff and we brought in the that was, display for you guys to check out here yeah. i know that the listeners won't be able to see it but our envision dash is really our you know kind of the next wave of, of where we're headed and that was one of the things again when dean was showing us around and giving us a tour uh we had brought up to him like hey what about the digital stuff and he's like oh i'm so glad you asked so you guys have a digital dash that essentially plugs into some of the uh, older model vehicles as a, as a plug and play, um, but also analog. So you could wire it in manually. Is that correct? Yeah. So if we're, yeah, if we're talking about Envision specifically, so it's basically a, a, a dedicated dash. So it's got tack, speed, fuel, oil, water, and volts. And we include a wire harness and a water and an oil sender. So, you know, you can add it to, to any vehicle. If you have a 12 volt battery and you can get those senders onto the block, like Literally, it'll work on anything, I and mean, it's very, very adaptable. Now, you were talking about the ability to tie into existing sensors. You can also do that, too, with what we have our, called it as a CAN bridge. And basically, what that does is it plugs in the diagnostic port on your OBD2, and then it, it you know grabs whatever signal data is available there, goes to the little module box. That box converts that you know into a signal that, that either a gauge could read or a single CAN uh, plug in to, to drive like an Envision dash. So you're able to utilize, you know, all the sensors and things that are already there instead of having to run, you know, redundant sending units for, for the six instruments that I mentioned. It's so wild to me when I think about digital dashes and what, what that looks like is we're starting to see swaps become more and more prevalent, uh, especially in the diesel community. Um, I, I, I do wonder looking at the digital dash and then looking at all of the dial gauges, What's more popular? What are you guys seeing customer demand for? Well, there's definitely a transition happening. I'll say that. So, you know, the 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 round kind of traditional instruments, you know, that's always going to be our bread and butter. I mean, that's what we're known for. I think anybody who, you know, look at our logo. I mean, it's it's, it's a tachometer. I mean, you know, that's, a, that's still who we are and, and w what we'll always be. Um, but definitely the digital stuff, the Envision dashes especially, are becoming more and more and more popular. And with you know vehicle specific options that we have, primarily in the muscle car market, um, but for, for the diesel enthusiasts, you know, we have the, the universal one that we do, and that can be adapted to anything. I mean, like I said before, you know, as long as you have a 12 volt uh, battery, you can drive that display, and then it's just a matter of putting the, you know, the sending units on the block and, and wiring power and ground to it, and then you know, you've got a, a full uh, you know, system available to you. Well, I think I'm showing my age on this because I grew up when 
the OEMs and everything actually used analog gauges in their right. vehicles. You know, now, so you have the younger crowd coming up that's used to, you know, in the, in the vehicles, they're used to like an LCD screen or, you know, a tablet or their phones or stuff. They're actually used to that type of, uh, you know, something that looks similar to that. So I think that's where it's going. Also, I think for me, you know, the fabrication of it, it's much similar to be able to cut one hole than it is to do multiple holes for gauges and such. And I honestly think, as Mike touched on before, we have been producing a lot more what we call direct fit products to be able to say to somebody, all right, you have this vehicle, we have a dash for this vehicle, so you're actually able to just to pull your dash out, put this dash in it, instead of having to go, all right, I need to cut a piece of sheet metal into this shape and put holes in it and stuff. And I really think that's really enhanced our business to for people to be able to do that because they don't have to fabricate anything. It's literally, all right, I can pull this out, you know, put this in and, and I'm ready to go. And that would modernize the the, the muscle car era of, of vehicles that, you know, we were looking at the dashes and the cutaways that you have. Now, one of the things that we touched on was, you know, evolution and things changing, the tides changing, things like that. I know like for what Paul and I do in our nine to five, it's, it's diesel oriented, right? And there's a lot of companies on the market that offer plug-in gauge displays that will go into your OBD too and communicate with the factory ECM. And you can pull fuel pressure, even some of the trucks, exhaust gas temps, boost pressure, vein position, all these things. Is that something that Autometer has, has looked at or wanted to potentially investigate offering something, not just in the diesel side, but you know, across all the automotive platforms? Yeah, we kind of already are in that space a little bit. I mean, maybe not the same way that some of our, you know, other companies in the in the industry are. You know, we don't have like a dedicated display, but what we do have is our Dashlink product. And basically that plugs into the diagnostic port and that's going to give you access to, you know, anything that's on the CAN bus. You can do, you know, monitor fuel economy. You mentioned the fuel pressure. If there's a fuel pressure sender there, you can monitor that. You can set up a full gauge of uh, you know, virtual gauges on a tablet or on your smartphone. So basically you plug this device into your OBD2 port and then it's going to use Bluetooth to communicate to your smart device. So that could be your tablet, your smartphone, Apple, Android. It really doesn't matter. It, you can, you know, put it on one vehicle today, another vehicle the next day, uh, Apple device today, you know, Android tomorrow. It's very adaptable. Basically it just pairs to the device and then obviously it's it's monitoring whatever it's currently plugged into. Yeah, I had I honestly had not come across that yet. So it, that's awesome to hear because I think that is one of those key elements of what we see a lot of people, like Chris said, in our day to day of what people are, are generally looking for. Um, what, what I do love, though, is that there's still a being attention paid to some of the old classics. Like you guys are talking about the muscle cars, but I'm also thinking about the older trucks that we deal with. We're like, you know, hey, a guy with a 12 valve is never going digital. He'll be, we'll be lucky for that guy to not have a flip phone in his pocket. You know what I mean? So, so paying attention to those classics and keeping those guys active and coming around. Is that what you see? Do you guys think you have more customers that are pre 2000 vehicles or post 2000 vehicles? I think it's definitely pre for, for being on the tech side and talking to then users. And I think the big thing that I talk to a lot of people about is you have a lot of people that are taking older trucks and putting diesels in them. I get a lot of calls on the Envision and they'll be asking, okay, I put a, a Cummins in my, in my, you know, 77 C10, you know, how do I, I want to use the Envision? How do I make the tack work on this? Which we make a tack adapter, a diesel tack adapter that runs off the alternator to be able to, to drive something like that. So 
I think that's something that you're going to see, and we've been uh, developing stuff for older Fords and stuff like that because I think now the people are seeing it as, you know, maybe I can't afford to go out and buy a 69 Camaro that even in rough shape is going to cost me $30,000, but I can go out and buy a mid-70s Ford or something like that where the initial investment is not going to be so much, and then I can actually take some of my funds that I have to use to upgrade that particular vehicle to get it run. But yeah, the, the diesel swaps into, and I don't want to, you know, interesting vehicles, the newer diesels into older vehicles, I think is becoming more and more popular. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, at the shop we have a couple of swaps that are you it's funny because 10 years ago if you would have asked me about doing any sort of diesel swap, I would have said the wiring's a nightmare and having any sort of monitoring over it's a joke. Uh, but it's great. You guys are starting to address that type of stuff. Do you think your products are mostly focused around somebody who is drag racing like high-end automotive race car performance or are you guys seeing like a lot of daily drivers and things of that nature? I feel like it's a mix. I so mean, do I. It depends on the product line we're talking about. I mean, you know, we have many brands that are kind of under the umbrella. So like our Deed and Bear brand, you know, you know, starting line controllers and things of that that nature, obviously, is a, is a drag race product. But when you start talking about something like Envision, you know, that's probably more of a street performance type product. Could you use it in racing? Sure. I think there probably are people that do that. Um, but yeah, it really, it's it's more... Uh, specific to each like product that we offer, like whether it's stack is, is more racing, you know, autometer can be racing, it can be street, um, it can even be fuel economy monitoring stuff. So, yeah. you know, whatever category you want to put that into. So, yeah, we really dabble in, in all segments, honestly. And it's just, it's more, you know, what, what product type are we talking about? And, you know, then we can kind of answer, you know, kind of where, what, what market it, it fits into. But yeah, I think we're probably maybe a little bit more street um, than, than racing, but certainly we came up through racing and that was, you know, what made us, what we are today was, um, was the was Jeep who was, you know, Mark's and, and my boss years ago. And literally he would go to drag races with a, like a tack in a box where no joke. I mean, he, he had a, a shagging wagon that he drove around in like the carpet, you know, all over the interior of the van. Like, I mean, it's exactly what you'd picture out of the seventies, but he'd go to these races and he'd show people our electronic tack. I mean, everybody was using mechanical tachometers at that time. So uh, electric tacks were the, the, you know, the new technology that nobody was aware of. But when he brought that tack out and showed it directly compared against the mechanical and showed how well it worked, that's, that's really what, what got us started. So, yeah. Well, I think that's one of the big things that we have, too, is the diversity that we have at Autometer because we literally have gauges that are made for daily drivers. And then we have gauges like our spec line and our elite gauges that, you know, NASCAR uses and stuff like that. So you have everything from your normal daily driver that we offer stuff for all the way up to the most high performance vehicle. Well, in those uh, spec we even do in diesel kits. Correct. So you could put it on a on you know your your NASCAR vehicle. You could put it on a diesel truck. You could put it on a a tuner Subaru. You know whatever you want. I mean the the gauge doesn't know what it's being used on. Right. It's a matter of that feature set matches what that consumer is looking for. It could be the color changing. It could be the warning outputs. It could be the pro control. I mean there's all sorts of different reasons why people buy certain parts within within our organization and then above the the envision dash that we have we also make a we call it a race dash which is an actual fully programmable lcd dash 
that has eight gigabytes worth of memory that will allow you to record all of the channels that you're monitoring and download it to a computer to look at everything. So we literally go from a short sweep mechanical gauge all the way up to a unit that is fully programmable that will uh, record a thousand samples a second that you can download to a, a PC. So, I mean, we, we, it's a vast, you know, wide range of products that we offer. Now, one of the things you mentioned on earlier was the, the early era, 10, 15 years ago, not having an LED bulb, right, in, in the mechanical gauge. I remember 12, 13 years ago, uh, there would be a gauge called Glowshift. I'm sure you guys are familiar. <laughs> and their claim to fame was it would change colors, right? And a lot of guys would go for that, but the gauges would always fail. Like, I, I always had nothing but issues many, many moons ago. Um, Nowadays, you know, you guys said that you have LED bulbs and you have the ability to change, you know, the the color or the background of that. What was some of that integration like going from that old style gauge display into that newer style design and that integration of change? So the funny part about it is, uh, I'll never forget this. We were working with NASCAR and we had just come out with our um, our cobalt and C2 gauges. So the cobalt is a blue illumination through... Uh, yeah, with a with a red pointer, and then the the lights illuminate. So we would literally we would take the cobalt gauge, and the first thing we ever did is we had a little cart, and we would put red lights in the cobalt gauge, and we would wheel them outside and be like, "All right, can you see the red lights in the cobalt gauge during the day?" Because we were trying to figure out how we could make a circuit board that would change colors that we could design where it would change colors at a certain parameter, and that's how we started kind of stepping each step through that and just kind of went all right let's take this light over here you know you're literally looking at an old nascar dash that has a oil pressure gauge and then in the left hand corner there would be a light and they're like all right now that we have the technology how can we combine these and because they are all electronics that's another thing that we should touch on is the sending units that we use and the producers of the sending units their accuracy got so much better uh, it advanced so quickly of how accurate the electronic gauges got. And then we went to our full sweep stepper motor gauges, and that's the technology that allowed us to be able to say, all right, we can actually put parameters in here to be able to set. We have the accuracy, the stepper motor gauges that we offer, the most accurate gauges we offer, they're even more accurate than the mechanical gauges. So now we have the accuracy, we have the, the footprint that we can use to be able to put all of this technology in side the gauge and put buttons on it and that's kind of where it progressed from there and, but it was very rudimentary at the beginning all right let's put red lights in that gauge and take it outside and power it up to yeah. see if there was a lot of it. reviews that's what i remember it was okay here's this gauge with you know and we we have different meter movements so you've got short sweep electric you've got mechanical you've got full sweep electric and the size of those movements are different so you know one you may need to put three leds in one you may need to put five you know one's going to be in this orientation so we had to go through a lot of different steps of making sure that it's consistent you guys talked about the qc part earlier you know that's a big part of you know when we did that development was making sure that when you put 
you know, these different gauges next to each other that they still, you know, look consistent from, from one to the next, whether it's the intensity of the lighting, the, you know, the tint of the blue or what have you. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And especially when you start getting to like different colored LEDs, like you'd be surprised a white LED, like you probably think, oh, just a white LED, white's white, right? No, not at all. I mean, you can get, <laughs> you can get one batch from the same one, you know, the, the supplier A, and then you, you, the next time you get that batch from supplier A, it can be a different tint. It might look a little bit pinkish, you know, maybe it's a brighter white. I mean, there's a lot that goes into making sure that things look consistent, whether it's all being built at the same time, or if you build something today that you want to make sure that, you know, two weeks from now that that is still looks, looks the same way. So we have a lot of different uh, mechanisms that we do, um, whether it's, you know, looking at a board that's got, you know, bezels on it to make sure that's, that the finish of the bezel yeah. is, is consistent from one to the next. Or if you've got like a flat black paint, same concept. I mean, flat can mean different things to different people, depending on what you're looking at. So a lot of, you know, looking at things and just making sure that we're staying consistent. Uh, speaking on that board, uh, when Dean took us over to the QA department, he was showing us that board with all the bezels yep. zip tied up. And he said, you know, we that that is the foundation. That is how we know that, you know, accuracy is where it needs to be, that there's not a different, you know, hue of blue for the anodization or the chrome or the flat black or anything like that. So, yeah. And I, I can, you know, from my personal experience, and I know markets rolled into this a lot just because we've been here you know, such a long time, we make any little change. I mean, hey, we're gonna change the the pointer here, or we're gonna do this new artwork on this dial. Can you come and make sure that this still looks okay? And we reject stuff, I mean, all the time. If, if it doesn't look right, we say, go back to the drawing board, you know, change this, you know, the tick marks are in a different orientation than the previous artwork, or there's a hot spot in the lighting here. I mean, we're constantly, you know, continuous improvement, just making sure that the things that we're producing are, you know, built to the same standard every time that we build them. And, you know, it's funny, you guys saw that board. I know, you know, again, one of those examples where you can't see it, you know, we're, we're talking about it, but literally it's this, you know, sheet of cardboard that's got bezels that are just, you know, rigged up to it so that the QA team can look at it and make sure that those things are consistent. But yet you got to do those things to make sure that when you're producing things, and that's how we get the reputation that we have, that Things are made well. They're made well the right the first time. And, you know, if we don't get it right, we're certainly going to fix it for you. And, and Mark's a good testament to that. You know, he, he answers the phones. I'm, I'm sure he's, he's helping all those customers that ever have any of those issues for sure. Well, Mark, since you are the one answering the phones and you said you've been here longer, um, <laughs> tell, tell me, uh, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen uh, since you started here? Um, definitely the, the manufacturing process, the technology. Um, to be honest with you, with the advent of, I know this is going to sound old, the interwebs, um, the customers that actually call us now are much more educated than they have been in the past. So we're, when I first started, people would call up and say, you know, I have this vehicle. What would you suggest to put in this vehicle? You know, and, and I would, well, it's a matter of personal preference, but, you know, this kind of looks like this or whatever. Now the customers have, a, when talking to them on the phone, they call up and say, I have this vehicle. This is what I want to put in it. You know, and they have specific questions to the products that they want to put in the vehicle itself, unlike general questions that they used to have in the past. So the customer and the end user is much more educated uh, than they were in the past. And I will be 
brutally honest with you, I have probably learned more from working shows, answering the phone. I have probably learned more from our customers than they've ever learned from me. You know, they're, they're so educated. They're the ones that are putting the hands on the vehicles. Um, and that's a nice part about it. Hey, you know, I bought this, this product. I have this type of vehicle. This is the, you know, I'm having a little bit of a fitment issue, you know, or, or, or putting some sort of a, uh, adapter for this, you know, this thread size to this thread size, you know, is this something you guys make or, or, you know, a suggestion on something like that. So I would say the education of the customers has come a long way. And, and I think that has to do with, I have a 2000 Ford F-250, and I remember I had to put lock regulators, uh, the, the power lock regulators in it. I got on YouTube, it literally took me like five minutes on each side that there was one bolt that was like in the, that was hidden in the door panel that I never would have found. I would have been yanking on the thing forever, but you know, you go to YouTube, you can look that stuff up, they show exactly how to do it, and I, I think that's where the biggest changes come. I would say, you know, we're talking the interwebs, right? But it's it's YouTube, like yes. YouTube, it's 100%. influencers, it's the install how to's. That's a big thing that Paul and I deal with over at our shop. But I can see firsthand watching a drag racer that I like to watch on YouTube and they're installing autometer gauges and they have a cobalt gauge or they have, you know, whatever that gauge may be. I got to have that now. Right. Or, oh, I never thought of monitoring, you know, exhaust gas temps or coolant temps, or I never thought of mounting a gauge in this specific area to make your job easier. You know, now they're calling in asking a consultative question. And you're just like, yep, here you go. This is what you need. Well, I never until we had people come to us who would have ever thought we'd make some sort of an exhaust back pressure gauge. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that would have never been on any of our radar until we had enough people calling in and asking at yeah, the, the show trap kit and stuff right. like that yeah. i mean you just never would have thought that we would have came out with those kind of right. things without so, feedback from the industry correct absolutely correct mike uh what do you think is your guys's most popular gauge um well i think you know honestly envision is is become the most popular i know it's not a, a gauge in the sense that it's you know a round thing that monitors one device i mean it's obviously a, a, a multi-system but you know, uh, I've said it a couple times, but in my 20 years here, you know, um, I've seen a lot of products that, that we've launched. I mean, we've had a lot of really cool elite was a really cool launch that we did. Um, although it's not around anymore, Nexus was, was unique, but as far as kind of like, you know, you use like baseball terms to describe like, Oh yeah, this, this product was a single or it was a double depending on how good it was. But yeah, my analogy for envision, I mean, home run, I mean, I would grand, say Grand Slam. Yeah, Grand Slam. You can yeah. even throw that in there. I'm a little hesitant to kind of toot our own horn or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, far and away, Envision has just blown us away. I mean, we thought it was going to be cool. We thought it was going to do well. But just, you know, the amount of units that we sell on, you know, a, to the consumer, it's a thousand plus dollar part. I mean, it, but for the amount of units that we sell, I mean, man, it's it's without a doubt, Grand Slam, home run, whatever term you want to throw in there and, and continuing to grow for sure. That's awesome. Um yeah, it's it's surprising to me because it is awesome. Uh, we got a chance to get our hands on it over here, Chris. And uh, yeah, the the easy to use joystick control on it. So not having to put your fingerprints all over it. That's one thing that I never liked about touchscreen personally. Uh, so I like that idea. I think that's really, really nifty. Um, one of the things that I think I was most surprised to learn today was about the battery testing mm -hmm. and... That the best kept secret. That style <laughs> of, of product line. Uh, it's not something that I ever knew you guys had or was available or was done with Autometer. I guess it just it never clicked for me. Uh, who wants to talk a little bit about that? 
I suppose neither of us are really like qualified in that sense, but I mean, we were, you know, I'm director of instrumentation sales and, and Mark's, you know, uh, sales, uh, or, or director of uh, motorsports. I'm sorry. And so our, our specialty is the instrumentation side of the business, but certainly we dabble on that side, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, no joke. It's kind of the best kept secret about Autometer. I mean, you go into any AutoZone store, you go into any O'Reilly store, um, you know, you go in there and you say, Hey, my, I think my battery's bad, or I think, you know, my alternator is not working when they come out and test your vehicle. They're using our equipment to do that. So literally every single auto zone, every O'Reilly, you know, you go in there with whatever issue, battery, alternator, starter, our test equipment goes out to, to the vehicle and, and does that full system diagnostic. So, and what makes our test equipment different from, you know, a lot of the, the competition that's out there is the way that we conduct our battery testing. So we actually have uh, anywhere from a 40 to 120 amp load that's built directly into the test device. So when you go into the vehicle, you're dumping that load straight onto the battery. So instead of a simulated load, like, oh, I'm gonna turn my fan on, I'm gonna turn my radio on, you know, the wipers, you know, whatever to put a minimal amount of load on that battery. Ours is actually simulating real driving conditions. And what that ultimately does is it gives you a more accurate battery test. So when you do those conductance testing, uh, a lot of times you'll get a situation where it gives you a false reading, whether it's a, a false reading on a, a good battery or a false reading on a bad battery, neither of which you wanna be in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those test equipment products, I mean, they, they help our um, our customers, you know, if you're a, a, a job or shop, you know, you're doing um, any kind of work on people's vehicles. If you're selling batteries or doing any kind of that work, you can actually use our battery test equipment to do two things. One is to make yourself more profitable because you can sell more batteries. So you'd be surprised. I think it's like one of every three batteries on the road today is actually near end of life. So a lot of people, and especially in our area in Illinois, you know, you get into those colder months, you might be on that edge of end of life and then poof, you know, your battery goes bad. Well, our battery, our battery testers are going to be able to, you know, detect whether that battery is good or bad more accurately than, than our competition does because of the way that, that we conduct our testing. So one, you can make money by selling more batteries, you know, customer comes in, Hey, let me check your battery out. Oh, you know, here's a slip. Let me tear it off, show you your result of exactly what the condition is. And then two, it reduces warranty claims. So as the shop, you're kind of on the hook for, you know, whenever you get that customer that comes back, oh, you know, you sold me this battery, it's defective, and then you got to replace it. So you're out either the labor or, you know, the cost to send that battery back to get replaced. Um, so with those more accurate battery tests, you're able to reduce warranties. And then, like I said, ultimately sell more batteries too. Well, that's those awesome. are, that's another thing that's evolved since Mike and I both got here. Yeah, big time. So when we first got here, the the testers usually, I mean, they were a carbon pile that had a knob on it that you turned to increase the load. And, and then we went to a membrane switch type of tester. Um, and now we have tablet type of testers. And the one thing about the, the, the testers that we have now is literally the ease of use. It literally will tell you if you hooked it up backwards, it has a step-by-step -step instruction to say, put this here, you know, and it literally asks for the temperature outside. Um, CCA on the battery. Yeah, they, it, you can read the label, put all of that stuff in it, and it has step-by-step -step instructions on how to use the unit as you go through the battery test. Another thing Mike didn't touch on either is in a large network, the battery testers will actually upload via the Internet and let 
all the manufacturers know that this battery, you see them on now, you see each one of them has a, a barcode on them. They actually can go out and scan that. That stores the serial number of the battery and will actually upload it and tell exactly what test was run and what condition the battery was in. To yeah, store by store. So I mean, literally cool. you can aggregate testing data. So if you're you know, whatever that chain store is, you've got five stores or 5,000, it doesn't matter. You can look at, okay, how many battery tests were done in Illinois? You know, how many batteries did we sell that day? How many warranties did we have? So these companies can use this data to, to find, you know, ways to sell more or ways to market to people. I mean, all sorts of different things that, you know, literally it's just done automatically. I mean, you go through that sequence it, and it just uses Wi-Fi to, to send that data to, to a hub. And then you, you can use um, our AmpNet software to kind of comb through all that data and, and find those trends and things that you need to respond to, to do whatever it is that you need to do. It's a battery charger you could try to use, Paul. Mm, you're giving me too much credit. <laughs> um, now, Mark, uh, you deal with customers a little bit more directly here. So I guess this question is for you. Um, what are some of the most frequently asked questions? Like what, what question have you heard a hundred times a day for 20 years? So the biggest thing, um, in every, probably you guys go through this all the time too. The biggest thing that we have is ground issues. So the pyrometers, people don't understand what pyrometers, uh, how they work. So everybody thinks the, the, the K probe that goes into the exhaust is actually a resistive based, uh, probe. It is not. It's actually two dissimilar metals that are put together, and as they heat up, they create millivoltage, and that millivoltage change as the temperature change. Millivoltage is a very, very fickle thing. So if you take one of our pyrometer gauges and ground it on, uh, let's say, a metal beam under the dash or whatever, the millivoltage is, is a very, very weak signal, so... When they go to use it, the gauge starts bouncing all over or it won't operate correctly at all. It's because the probe itself and the gauge are not sharing a common ground. So probably the biggest thing, especially dealing with the diesel guys, is is a grounding issue. The best thing for our gauges is to ground them directly to the engine blocker head of the vehicle. And honestly, that will fix probably 95% of the problems that people have. Do you guys have issues with EGT probes pyrometers lasting a long time? Do you get five years out of an EGT probe? Yeah, it's bad for business, but yes, yes, we do. Um, the probes that we use for our EGT gauges um, are actually what we call a shielded probe. So you have an open probe that actually has an exposed tip on it. And then our particular gauges all come with a shielded probe. Um, so in the, the the plus to that is it lasts a little bit longer, and it also, if that tip ever breaks off, it does not go through the turbocharger. That's the reason we started using the actual uh, enclosed shield tips. And and another big thing is we get is, should I mount the, the probe pre-turbo or post-turbo? You know, obviously, mounting it pre-turbo will give you the most accurate reading, but then you have to worry about shavings and stuff like that. And what I tell the customer, I said, it's relative. You get a truck, you start driving it. If you, whether you have it pre or post turbo, you get used to it running at a certain temperature. When you're on the, when you're on the gas, you know, or diesel at this time, but you know, on the accelerator, the, the temperature is going to go up. 
but it's going to it's going to stabilize and then come back down. I said it's all relative. So you need to get used to whatever that temperature is and then if you start seeing rising from there at your relative temperature, then you know something's going wrong. So that's one of the biggest things that we get is, you know, po uh, ground issues and pre or post post turbo and they asked me, well, what temperature should my my gauge run at? I'm like, I'm not a tuner. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you how the gauge works, but I don't want to give you any false information on that. Well, it's funny. You, it's funny you say that because I feel like in the OEMs, you're starting to see a lot of OEMs. You know, they run EGT probes, but they're always post turbochargers, so you're not getting as much heat or abuse for the probe to potentially last longer. Now. From a tuning perspective, what we do, we always say right into the manifold because we want the truest reading possible. And usually a threshold's around 1350 sustained, right? You could have a peak up and come back down, but that 13, 1350 is kind of where that that uh, happy medium, so to speak, is. But I never thought about that as far as the aftermarket probes go because, you know, we de we've dealt with them in the past. EGT probes burn up, you have to swap them out. But, you know, when they're in the manifold, they're getting the hottest reading possible. So yes. put it down pipe. There's usually a few hundred degree, you know, difference between, you know, those two areas. Yeah. And I, something Prolong else them. to kind of touch on with the, the EGTs is I think there's a, a strange expectation that they're accurate, extremely accurate at all temperature ranges. <laughs> and so you'll get somebody that'll call in and be like, my gauge is reading, you know, a hundred degrees. It's like, okay, Hey, uh, you know, let's, let's take a step back. Like the, the, that type of instrument is actually designed to basically sacrifice low end accuracy to gain high end accuracy. Cause what you're really concerned about is like what you said, those 13 to 1350 degrees, you want an accurate there. Who cares what it reads? I'm not that who cares, but it's, no, it's irrelevant. Who cares? Right. Who right, cares? Right. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's, it's irrelevant what the temperature is at the low end, but people will look at it and be like, Oh my gosh, my gauge is already reading a hundred, but you know, it's, 30 degrees outside or whatever it is, you know, whatever the, the reasoning is that they give for that. So, yeah. And I have to explain that, that they make a type K, a low temperature type K thermocouple, which we use like on our data acquisition. Yeah. yeah. For air temperature, intake temperature and stuff like that. And then I, I, I do believe the cutoff, it's like zero to 400 and then 400 yeah. and above is what it is. So yeah, I'll, I'll get people that are call. well, when I turn it on, it reads 200, well, you know, like our, our particular pyrometers use a type K thermocouple that is accurate from 400 degrees and above. So that's, that is the good point on that, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, EGT probes. I mean, I think we have this, this level of almost disdain internally for <laughs> EGT probes because we, we do have EGT probes fail. We have always told people, post them on the manifold. That'll give us the most accurate reading. That's when we're talking about 1350 sustained. Like, you don't want to live at 1350 or above sustained uh, because you're going to start melting shit, right? Like, you know, aluminum has a melting point. All the parts inside of your engine have a melting point. So running over that temperature is going to be dangerous. Um, but now, as you mentioned, Chris, with all of the the factory EGT probes. I mean, it's usually not just one EGT probe on a truck anymore. You usually have three to four um, and, and they all read different temperatures. So I like the idea that you're giving people of like, drive it for a week, watch the gauge, that will give you your baseline. That, right. It doesn't matter if you put it post turbo, it matters. Yeah. And that if goes it for varies. really any gauge. It could be a boost gauge or temperature gauge, pressure gauge. I mean, really having an instrument, it, the important thing is to learn about it. You know, what's your normal, what's, what is it? in cold conditions? What is it after it's warmed up? What is it when you're driving hard? What is it when you're daily driving? And I mean, you got to kind of 
uh, take mental notes, I guess, really is what it comes down to and kind of study those patterns that you see. And then when it deviates from those things that you see, that's when you can actually use that instrument as the insurance policy that, you know, that I talked about earlier. No, you have a lot of guys, they'll spend a lot of money on gauges. You know, we're all in this room. We all know what the stuff costs, but guys think that just because they have the instrument, they are now smarter. You know, that that's half of it. They now have to be observant. They now have to learn how the vehicle functions so that they can read those instruments accordingly to use them to their advantage. Yeah, the gauge the gauge does you no good if you never look at it. Way to be a buzzkill, guys. I just wanted some cool lights that look badass when people got <laughs> on my truck. Well, there, there is an element of that, too. There I mean, is. gauges are, you know, aesthetically pleasing. I think that's a, a big part of our, our customer base is people that just want something because it's got cool lights on it. It bounces around. You know, it does all sorts of different things. They want that pillar. They want those gauges mounted. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was a status symbol when, when I remember coming in like it like 10 years ago to get into diesel trucks. It was a legitimate like, oh, no, that truck's badass. It's got gauges because <laughs> why would you put gauges on your truck if it was all stock? It was like they just went hand in hand with with performance. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. What? Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, what should I have asked you today that we have not talked about? Oh, gosh. Um, why am I so handsome? I, I, no. <laughs> no, that's obviously a lie. It's yeah. a good thing you're on radio <laughs> or a podcast, Audio buddy. Audio medium. <laughs> Audio medium. Although, although I will say Dean said, now you guys are going to go meet Mike. Don't worry that he looks half my age. He's been here longer than me. <laughs> well, it's funny. We, we had uh, our, our uh, like celebratory 20-year thing like just a couple months ago, and I think he, he referred to me as, uh, yeah, he started here in elementary school. So, yeah. I, I he def- said that to us. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. Um, Mark, if you have you know, an answer to that, I mean, please feel free to jump in. I guess I wasn't uh, ready for that one. Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is is that you know, we're, we're continuing to advance our technology and, you know, just trying to continue to, to improve our products, improve the fitment of our products to certain vehicles. And, you know, we're just not going to stop. We're going to continually improve on our products is, is I think the biggest thing that we have. Yeah. And if I could just kind of touch on that as well, I mean, I, we didn't get to talk about a lot, all of the, the the diesel specific stuff that we make, but the diesel market to me, you know, as I've kind of come through the company, I felt was a segment that we really listened to the customer. You know, we came out with multiple products purely based on feedback from customers. It could have been a mounting solution. Um, our uh, OBD2 splitter was, you know, a problem solver product that we had. The diesel tack adapter, you know, people griped about, oh, I got no way to put this on my diesel. And then we did that. And then they're like, well, now you guys only have 10,000 RPM tacks. So then we released, you know, lower RPM range tachometers. So, you know, anytime we're kind of presented with, uh, an issue by, by a group of customers, obviously one guy complains, you can't, you know, come out with a new product, but, uh, when you get consistent, you know, comments about, Hey, I, do you guys have a mount for this vehicle? Or can you do this, this way? Or, you know, can you fix this? We take that to heart and we may not get it right away, but you know, we always work to make sure that, you know, our, our parts are quality and they're going to work for a long time. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone to a, an event and somebody's like, yeah, I've got this, you know, 30 year old tachometer and it just, it just won't break. You know, I want to replace it, but you know, I can't. So that's the mentality. That's what I love to hear. That's, that's what we're all about is, is making stuff right the first time. And then if we don't get it right, you know, making sure we service them right that first time. So yeah. it's really cool to know too, like 
for me personally dealt with auto meter in the past, you know, years past. And it's crazy to think that, you know, where your shop is in your facility, it's only like 45 minutes from where we're at in Woodstock, Illinois. So you're basically in our backyards and we didn't even know it. We wouldn't think of Illinois as like a high performance central for people that make stuff like that. But when you really start digging deeper, there are a lot of performance companies in Illinois, which is really cool. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for carving out so much time for us. We definitely appreciate it. Listeners, uh, this has been a great episode. I know you guys are going to love it. Jump on over to autometer.com. Check out all of their amazing diesel products uh, that will fit your trucks. We'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, Come back next week. We're going to be talking to Jason Worley and crew over at WC Fab, who's actually just right down the street from you guys. Yes, sir. Awesome. For today, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Semke. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. It's a battery charger you could try to use, Paul. Mm, You're giving me too much credit. (laughs) Oh, man.